Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions? If so, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is Denise Cooper, and you are listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper, where each week I have guests who offer you the best advice on how you can achieve your goals, overcome adversity, and turn your potential into performance. That's what we're about, closing the gap, getting you from where you are now to where you want to be. My guest today is an outstanding standing coach. Her name is Meredith Bale. Meredith has been an entrepreneur for many, many years. So she kind of knows everything from starting a business to running a mature business to excelling in her business. Right now, she is the president of Performance Support Systems. She heads the marketing and sales, and she personally worked with thousands of entrepreneurs, leaders, and consultants, coaches to help them build strong relationships with their clients and affiliates and vendors. She understands what's required to build loyalty and commitment that leads to repeat business, exceptional workplaces, and generates referrals that grow the bottom line for your business. Today, I have Meredith here because she is the co-author of the book, Connect With Your Team, Mastering the Top 10 Communication Skills. And if you've listened to any of my podcasts, you'll know by now that communication is the foundation on creating not just inclusive and innovative workplaces, but a workplace culture that is built on accountability, ownership, responsibility, and performance. The essence of what every executive wants in their workplace. So I want to tell you a little something about Meredith, but I'm going to ask her the first question is going to be, tell us something about you. But you need to know that one of her hobbies is spending time in nature and exploring the world of birds. Meredith, how are you doing today? I am great, Denise. I'm so excited about being here with you and your audience. Thank you. So you heard kind of the first question. Tell us something about you that hmm, most people probably wouldn't guess about you. Oh, well, this will be a fun one. In high school, I went for two years with Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker of Star Wars fame. And in high school, he always wanted to be an actor. And he was in all the plays and the musicals. And before he moved away, he gave me a kiss goodbye. (laughs) I thought, you know, that's just one of those little things I've always treasured as I've watched his success skyrocket over the years. So that's a Oh, that is so fun. So fun. So fun. So let's dig right into this. Tell us about, you know, how did you decide that communication and coaching? I mean, what is your life skills taught you that made you think that for a team to really excel, it's really about the communication? What's your story? 
I started out in education and I was in the classroom for a number of years and kind of got bored with the routine and moved on to get my master's. And I worked with other teachers and did training with them. And the part of that that always was important to me was how we interact with each other. So I've always had this interest. And then I realized over a number of years that I didn't do politics or bureaucracy very well at the school board office level. So I decided to leave and went out on my own. And this should be an encouragement to any of your listeners who are wondering, should I risk a change? If you're unhappy enough, it's a clear signal to do something different. I had no business background. I had never taken a business business course. And back in the 80s, early 80s, there were no internet resources available. So I did a lot of studying and listening to audio tapes back then to learn more about marketing and selling. But my passion was always around how people interact with each other and specifically the communication skills. So I started doing training programs for companies around how to play nicely with each other, which evolved into, you know, leadership development and team building over the years. And then in 1990, I met Denny Coates, who was the co-author of my book. We started collaborating on things and did a lot of training and consulting. And back then it wasn't called coaching, but that's what we did around this whole thing of communication. And we just got this deep appreciation of how important these skills are. As you said in the beginning, it's they're fundamental to everything else. If you aren't able to communicate well, there are so many other issues that evolve from that. And so Denny and our third partner have now worked together for 30 years. So we've been practicing these skills with each other over time, in addition to helping clients. And then we decided to create software tools that help with assessing and developing the skills. And last year with the pandemic, we decided to capture these ideas in the book you just referred to. Oh, that's wonderful. But you said so much, but I got two points that if I were listening to this, I'd go, "Uh huh, what? Oh, wait a minute. Stop and pause. The first point is you talked about you made the decision to just kind of risk jumping out and that typically if the pain is enough, Oftentimes, I think when people are trying to think about doing something different, I would love it if they didn't wait till they hit rock bottom. (laughs) You know, often, you know, that saying in AA, they say you won't change until you hit rock bottom and rock bottom is different for everyone. So in business, in particular now where everything seems to be changing and a lot of people want to go back to you know, the way it is, we're going to go back to normal. It'll be a new normal. But in their mind, the new normal is maybe, you know, instead of having a red dress on, I've got a blue dress, but it's still a dress out of this. But I really think we're going through some fundamental changes right now. And so I wanted you to kind of think about when you were thinking about, you know, this place that I'm at now just isn't working for me. And the scary cliff that you went to of I'm going to become a business person. What was happening inside you? What what made you kind of peek out and say, okay, I'm going to take one step, one step. Well, what do I need to do? How did you get to that? 
Well, for one thing, there was quite a bit of pain. You know, I was in a position where I had been put in, given the responsibility, this will be familiar to you, without the authority. It's just a a losing proposition when you are faced with that kind of situation. So for me, it was a, you know, kind of a moral dilemma. And also I had physical symptoms that told me, pay attention to this girl. (laughs) You're not not thriving here. I was hating to go to work Monday mornings, which is never, I mean, I'm one of these enthusiastic people. I jump into everything I do, but I just started paying attention to all the signals my body and my mind were giving me. Mm -hmm. And I just got to thinking about how could I take the skills that I have of teaching, you know, and communicating with others and use that in a different context. Mm -hmm. I think I also, Denise, had this innate, no, developed confidence over time that no matter what new situation I had been placed in, I'd found a way to succeed. Even though I had doubts and I had some fears, I still thought I can make this work. I can learn whatever it is that I need to learn to do this well. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a key element for me in retrospect that I just had this belief in myself that I faced other difficult situations and prevailed Mm -hmm. and I'll figure this one out too. Yeah. 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 And I think a lot of times what keeps us is there's a lot of marketing that says don't risk failure and reminds us failure can be a great thing, but taking a step out, like you discussed, so, you know, I'm going to take a little bit of a small step. I'm not happy where I'm at now. So how can I safely plan the goal go to the next one. And I already know I'm going to succeed, but I need to do a few things before I get out there. I think that's an important, an important nugget for people to walk away with. You know what else though? I just have to say this too. I had just gotten married and my husband was very supportive. So I think that, you know, you have to have someone in your life that believes in you and believes in what you want to do that can cheer you on in those moments of doubt or setback when things don't go quite the way you had hoped. Mm Because it's one thing to believe in yourself, but it takes it to another level of positive energy when you have someone else that says, well, yeah, you can do that. It makes a huge difference in you know, how you feel about yourself and in your attitude. I know it did for me. It's interesting. And thank you for bringing that in because in my book, I talk about be careful who's whispering in your ear. Yes. And if you don't have people who they may have a good heart, but not necessarily the skills to support you. If, or if they're kind of scared by what you do or your, what you're thinking, then they're going to be whispering in your ear how it's going to fail versus someone who really believes in you and says, I don't know how to help you but I believe you have it in you Mm -hmm. to get to where you want to go. And that brings me to kind of the other issue that you brought up in your earlier comments was about the issues that show up in the workplace from poor communication. And a lot of it, I think, comes from this idea of what you just talked about of how do we support each other in the workplace so that we can not only know better, but be better in the process. Tell us a little bit about what are some of the kinds of issues that might show up from poor communication? There's so many, Denise. My hesitation (laughs) is trying to figure out which ones are the biggest. Well, for one thing, let's just take a leader and how the leader communicates with the team. Mm -hmm. If the leader is not clear with people on what needs to be done and when, people can be working on the wrong things 
and miss deadlines because they don't know what's expected of them. So that's an issue. Another is when they are not treated as adults. When a leader relies on, you know, directives, commands, or even worse, you know, demeaning or belittling comments that undermine a person's self-esteem and sense of worth. So miscommunication at its worst has a huge negative impact on productivity, performance, and just how people show up. And that's why it impacts their performance because they might be feeling resentful of how they're treated or just frustrated because, you know, they change courses too often and don't have clarity about the purpose of what they're doing. You know, even kids will ask why a lot (laughs) and adults have this same need. They just might not articulate it at times, especially in a work environment where they don't feel supported or feel that they're valued that much. It's like, what's the point? Mm -hmm. I ask because I'm not going to get a straight answer. Right. So there are just, when you think fundamentally, I think what's the basis of, you know, performance in the workplace, it's around trust Mm -hmm. and a sense of safety Mm -hmm. and ability to be honest with each other. When those are missing, it's really hard to rally people to want to give their very best. Yeah. And I see it so often that this issue of, do I trust that you can actually solve my problem? Are you going to make it better? Is one that pops up all the time in the workplace. So people think in the back of their head, is my boss really going to help me prioritize what my work is? No, they're just going to say, here's another project. Here's another project. Here's more. Okay, great. If I deliver this to them, one of the stories that I often tell is I had a boss who he was a red pen person, right? And so whatever I sent to him, he would just mark it up. And then he'd send it back to me and say, you know, you need to change it this way, do this. I want this done. I want it this way, put it together this way. And it didn't feel like you were talking about this, treat me as an adult. It felt like he was treating me like a student. Ultimately what happened, and it wasn't that long, I think it was like the fifth time he sent it back. I realized in my mind, I figured, oh, he must really like this because he's very good at it. So why should I put any effort in doing better on my work? So I just send it to him right? and he'd mark it up the way he wanted it. And then I just start cleaning it up. And there it was. That was the way I figured out how to increase my productivity because I figured he just that's just what he liked. Well, one day he came to me and he said, Denise, this is not going in the right direction. It seems to me that you're writing penman, you know, your ability and grammar is getting worse. And I was like, I don't understand how you got to that. He says, well, you know, this last two papers you sent me, blah, 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 you know, your arguments were kind of weak. I said, you know, why would I spend my time doing it when no matter what I did, you always red pinned it. I just figured you had a process in your mind of what it needed to look like. I don't read mine. So here it is. (laughs) The look on his face (laughs) was truly priceless. But We then were able to have a discussion around, okay, what is the performance? Going back to what you say, clear on what is it that you're expecting from me? What's the format that you want this in? What is it you want me to focus on so that you have the deliverable that you need to do your job, Mr. Boss, 
or Ms. Boss out of it. And so I think the point you made about clear on what it is we want, I don't think most managers are clear. It's kind of a, you know, every time you hear about recruiting, they say, well, send me some high performers. And you say, well, what is that? Well, I'll know it when I see it. Well, how am I going to do my job? You know, and the other thing I think is an issue is this idea of, you know, in my situation, I really think my boss wanted me to think for myself, mm-hmm. but his behavior was one that didn't engender me to do much thinking at all. Right. Yeah. So, and I noticed in your book, one of the, the guiding principles really was how do you get, you know, to get people to think for themselves, to take that extra self. And I know there isn't a supervisor, there isn't a manager, there isn't an executive that feels the pain of when their employees are only doing what the you know SOP, the standard operating procedure says, but not really taking the initiative to solve problems as they come up. Because you can never write a policy that's going to cover everything. So right. you've got to have some interpretation. What are some tips that you would give in terms of how do you get your employees to think for themselves, especially if you've trained them through your interactions not to think for themselves? How do you turn that ship around? That's so important. You know, for one thing, I think it's helpful for managers and leaders. Let's just say leaders generically, no matter what position is. And by the way, this holds true for parents too. So Mm. if people will think about this through different filters or different hats they wear, if someone comes to you, most of us are built to want to be helpful. Mm-hmm. And so it's natural to want to provide the answer. We have the experience. The problem is when we do that, we create dependence on us. And people, especially if they have perceived that there's punishment of some form or another, or some kind of negative thing happens if they try something on their own and make a mistake mm-hmm. and then get corrected for it. So it's kind of a multidimensional dynamic that needs to go on and a person needs to be aware of. So I think if a manager wants to change the dynamic so that people are more independent thinkers, there are a couple of things. For one, they could be just overt and say, you know, I've been working so hard to provide answers to you all, you know, just upfront, tell people I've taken on this role of being the expert, the answer giver. And I want to shift from that because each one of you is very capable. And so when you come to me, be aware that one of the first things I'm going to ask you in response to your question is, well, what do you think? So I want you to come to me prepared with options you've considered, the pros and cons of each, and your recommendation of what ought to be done. Mm-hmm. Because you are a capable person mm-hmm. who can do that kind of thinking. So tell people up front so mm-hmm. they're not having to guess. You know, you use that word, you weren't a mind reader with that one manager you had. And that's the challenge that so many folks at work have. They're trying to guess what does this person want from me mm-hmm. without asking for fear they'll look foolish for having to ask. When in fact, if the leader would simply be clear up front mm-hmm. about how, what is it like to work? Work with me. What is it like in terms of how we will interact? Mm-hmm. And so you help people understand what it is you want from them. And that encourages them to do that thinking mm-hmm. before they ever come to you. And sometimes that means they don't need to come to you. If you have helped them see that in certain kinds of situations, 
they can operate independently. They don't have to check in with you for everything. And if you find people are so dependent on you and you can't get other work done because everyone is always coming to you, then look within. What is it you're doing or saying that's causing people to feel they can't operate without checking in with you? Yeah. What kind of negative consequence have they had to deal with Mm -hmm. when they've operated independently in the past? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I get it. I get it. And it shows up so often in slow work productivity, you know, rework, or you just being frustrated. If you walk out of the meeting and you're frustrated that people just didn't seem to get it, or they didn't make the right deadline or the expectation, et cetera, then, you know, it just, you can feel it in your body when you're that tense, because that's the frustration. What are you telling your friends as what frustrates you about the workplace that you're in? And I love your your analogy of be open, say, look, I trust you come with solutions. But, you know, in the beginning, there's a bit of a hesitancy mm-hmm. to step out. You know, did they really mean it? I don't know how to do it. And, and sometimes it literally is that easy. I don't know that they mean that. The last time they said they wanted my solutions, they didn't take one of them or, you know, they shot me down for my thinking or something like that. So people are a little reticent to do that. And the other side of it is, is some people might say, well, I don't know how to solve this problem. How do I get that? But the manager really does want people to come with solutions so that they can help them think better and they can talk about the boundaries of what the solution has to look like and, and what it's do in the end. How do you get people to really buy in to that new expectation. This goes back, Denise, to communicating, right? Just sitting down with people. Let's just say that there is a project Mm -hmm. where you've got a deadline and this individual you're speaking with is a key player in getting it done, maybe even has the lead on it. And so to sit down and talk to that person, one approach could be, all right, we need this report on my desk by Friday at three o'clock. And then you send the person off. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, what just happened? (laughs) So one of the things to do is simply to get that person's input, give them the opportunity to let you know if that's realistic. So another approach would be, we need this report by three o'clock Friday. Is that doable? Mm -hmm. And is there anything else on your task list or priorities that we might need to shift in order to make that happen. And even asking, do you have all the resources you need to meet this deadline? And what kinds of things could happen that might prevent you from meeting this deadline so that we eliminate all of them? Mm -hmm. So there's no obstacle to this happening. Mm -hmm. Getting another person to share with you, wow, you know, Sally over here is out next week or this week. And so she's a key person whose input I need for this. So who else could we get that from? It's having a conversation where you don't make assumptions about what's possible, but you get the input of the other person. And as you do that, that's where the buy-in comes in because Mm -hmm. they feel a part of the process, not just the receiver of a dictate. And that makes a big difference. And then the other thing is as the person is, so you have an agreement at the end Mm -hmm. and you articulate that. So there's no question. There's no doubt. So at the end of the conversation, you say, okay, so we agree that you will be able to get this report to me by three o'clock Friday. And also if anything starts getting in your way, you will come to me 
and let me know so that I can help make sure you get what you need mm-hmm. and we remove any obstacles. So it feels more like a team effort, not they've been dumped on one more time to come up, you know, right, right, some other right, deadline. Right. I think that's so huge because then the person feels I'm supported here. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not in this by myself. He's got my back or she's got my back and I can get this done. Yeah. So they feel more confident about it and they're more motivated because they feel they had a say in what's going to happen. So let's flip this a little bit because I've worked with C-level people who are EVPs, SVPs, you know, that level there who have come to me and said, I know my boss doesn't set really good expectations. All they keep saying is more, 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 more without thinking about the impact. I mean, there's, you know, at best, I've got 50 hours worth of work in me in a week. Maybe I can push it to 75 sometimes, but I have to have some downtime. I have to have some think time, but my boss doesn't get this. How would I set expectations? You know, this kind of idea of managing up. Mm -hmm. What would be a good strategy for thinking about and getting it to the point, especially if I'm not sure that my boss can remove some of those barriers to me being more efficient or effective? I think it goes back to taking personal responsibility and a word you used earlier, which was initiative Mm -hmm. and map out all the things you've got on your plate, how much time they are taking and simply to go in and talk to the person said, can we have a conversation around my priorities? I want to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. I'm finding it a little challenging to get it all done in a reasonable manner and be able to give 100% because of the amount of time that appears to be required. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to spend a few minutes with you and, you know, set an appointment if you have to. Don't just go in and start talking to somebody. Make sure they're in a place where they can hear what you have to say and give you attention. And I think affirming your commitment to quality Mm -hmm. And that your concern with being able to deliver excellence and quality might be compromised just because of the many different things. So you would like them to help you look at what is the number one thing Mm -hmm. that I can focus on that'll make the biggest difference, have Mm -hmm. the greatest impact in the organization. What is that number one thing? What's the number two thing? Mm -hmm. Just so we are both in agreement. So Mm -hmm. I love that you're you're flipping this because I think it does work both ways. If I'm struggling and one of our partners, Paula, who does so many different things in our company, every so many weeks, she'll say, okay, I need some help with my priorities. And so she and Denny and I will get on a call and she'll map them out and we just work through, okay, this is number one. Okay, good. So she's not having to sit there wondering what should I be doing next? We talk about it and discuss all the things that we're working on and which one really is the most important one. I think too often we make assumptions that somebody wants us to do A when they would really prefer B, mm-hmm. but we haven't taken the time to ask them because mm-hmm. we're all so busy. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we can use busyness as a reason why we haven't had that conversation because it doesn't have to take long. Right. You know, a lot of times we can have these conversations in five minutes because she shows us the priorities and we we switch around what needs to be done first. And so if you've done the thinking in advance and you go into your boss and you say, I think this is number one, do you agree? Then it can be done in very short order. But it's really important to know you've got their support. All of what you're saying is is absolutely beautiful and wonderful and 
as we're sitting here listening to you talk about it, it just seems so easy, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah, I, I think I can do that. But I think it goes back to something you said in the very beginning about what made you leave teaching and need forward to go into the decision that I'm going to just try and start my own business, make an impact a different way. And I think that what the feedback and the way that you're asking people to think about providing constructive feedback on what are my priorities? What is number one? Is this really what you want me to do? What is the expectation when it's done? What does it look like? All of those things are just conversations around feedback. But I think when it's like this managing up or even managing the people who are direct, you know, direct reports of you, it takes heart or courage. Mm-hmm. So how do we find the courage to speak up, which is what you're talking about? I love that. You know, I think part of it is just the way we think about it, Denise, Mm -hmm. that we sometimes work ourselves up into a lather, you know, about a particular situation and a particular reaction that somebody might have to something that we say. So one thing we can do to calm our minds down, Mm -hmm. our emotions down is simply to look at this neutrally. Mm-hmm. And say, and I love this question I learned from someone else. Who do I need to be in this moment? Mm, that is beautiful. who I need to be because we're not stuck in a personality style or type or you know any particular way. But who would I need to be in this moment to be able to share with this person what I need from them right. in order to be the best possible contributor in this organization? So I think that's a key question for someone to ask themselves. And we can, you know, summon that courage. But I think it also helps to take a neutral view Mm -hmm. and not antagonistic, not worrisome. Just say, I have information I either want to share or I have information I need to get. And so I'm just going to ask. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. what's the worst that could happen? They say no, or, you know, they get upset. Well, the other thing about- Or they get embarrassed. But that is part of how we talk to them. Okay. You know, I think that's a key thing, how we deliver our message. Too often we kind of, you know, build up, build up this anger, resentment, and then we lash out. And it's like, where did that come from? If instead we can maintain calm, Mm -hmm. stay factual, you know, and, and talk about the specifics that happened. When we talk about giving constructive feedback to someone else, we want to focus on behavior and not judging them as a person. Mm -hmm. So let's say we were in a meeting and you noticed that the person leading the meeting really said some demeaning things to another person, or they dismissed what they said, or they ignored what they said. Mm -hmm. And you feel like you can't let that go. Mm -hmm. You know, that that was disrespectful to that Mm -hmm. person. Mm -hmm. And so you can, first of all, talk to them one-on-one, not in a group, because who likes to be embarrassed in front of other people? Mm -hmm. And just make sure they're in a place that it's a time for them to listen and say, I want to share something with you that I noticed in the meeting. Is this a good time? And if they say no, then schedule a time to talk to them. And then what you want to do is be very specific without adding any judgmental kinds of words. So I noticed that when, you know, Denise tried to contribute that you interrupted her and cut her off and she never was able to finish 
her sentence. And then the rest of the meeting, I saw that she, you know, pulled back and didn't contribute. I think there were some good ideas that were missed because of that. Mm -hmm. And find out, you know, sometimes again, in our own minds, we, we make assumptions. We've judged that person for being Mm -hmm. rude. You know, they could have gotten some really bad news that morning and they're distracted. We don't know what's going on with them. So to give them a chance to talk about what they were thinking in the middle of the meeting, maybe they were, you know, time constrained. We don't know. But just to describe what would be more effective in the future, I think it would be great to allow a few minutes to make sure that everyone's had a chance to be heard Mm -hmm. and then get their agreement on future behavior. If you're in the leader role and you want to state, here's what needs to happen in the future, will you commit to doing that? Mm -hmm. Again, agreement from the other person, you're treating them as an adult where you're explaining, here's what we need from you going forward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Will you do that? And then Mm -hmm. if they don't do that in the future, that's another opportunity Mm -hmm. to have a conversation. And at a certain point, if someone is consistently not doing what needs to be done, that's when you start documenting, Mm -hmm. you know, so you've got the, the paper trail, but too often we just you know, a person might get yelled at, you know, Mm -hmm. you interrupted her. That was so rude. Don't do Mm -hmm. that again. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, well, wait a minute. You don't know what I've been dealing with. Mm -hmm. There's (laughs) no empathy there. Yeah. That's where the miscommunication happens because we both are drawing conclusions incorrectly about where the other person was coming from. And if we can simply approach it neutrally and say, Hey, I noticed this without a lot of emotion behind it and a curiosity. I think that's so key, Denise, is being curious about what's going on with someone else. Mm -hmm. And when we can keep that word in mind, then the judgment, the evaluation, the criticism doesn't really have a place because we're in a learning mode, a discovery mode. Mm -hmm. And the other person can feel that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a huge part of where dynamics go wrong because Mm -hmm. they can also feel when we are Mm -hmm. being more judgmental and more critical. And then it's like, I can't win in this situation. Right, right. Because I'm not going to have a chance to be heard. Yeah. This has been so instrumental, I think, in people learning how to, whether it's, you know, you're coaching up to your supervisor or your boss or the executive, how to set those clear expectations and suspend judgment. And I think, you know, that's kind of where I want to end. What are two or three things that a person really has to hold in front of them to be able to suspend judgment, to be able to kind of have these kinds of conversations, to get people to think for themselves, to get the buy-in for their expectation, or at least the results that we're trying to achieve, as well as give constructive feedback. What what are two or three things that I need to do just at that piece of suspending judgment? Mm-hmm. I think a key thing is just having the mindset Mm-hmm. giving people credit with the, I guess, belief, everybody's doing the best they can mm-hmm. with what they have mm-hmm. and not assuming they're trying to sabotage us or, you know, work against us. They may not realize that's the end result of what they're doing, but mm-hmm. giving people the benefit of the doubt and maintaining that curious learning mode of what could I ask that would help me better understand this person who's in front of me right this minute. Right, right. And I think another key one is keeping in mind, how can I 
let this person know I value them Mm -hmm. as a human being, Mm -hmm. because that to me is one of the core things, Denise, that's, that's missing too often is people's appreciation of how important it is for someone else to feel they matter. They feel they are valued. And there are such little things that we can do Mm -hmm. to demonstrate the empathy you mentioned, the fact that we're really hearing them by giving them our full attention. Mm -hmm. So I think that's another key thing for someone to keep in mind. How can I focus on this person in this moment so they feel they're the most important person in my world? right now. Mm -hmm. Because if we do that, a lot of their defensiveness, a lot of their own, you know, negative thoughts or feelings will be minimized or even eliminated because they sense we care about them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just a huge factor in helping people feel they matter and also getting the best from them. Mm -hmm. If we want high productivity, high performance in the workplace, when people feel that you really care about them, it's amazing what they will want to do for you. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And that's and that's when you know you've got the synergy in the workplace that is creating and, and building upon itself great results because ultimately that's what you want. You want to create a culture. We keep talking about creating cultures that are high performance and inclusive, but the measure of that is are the results building upon themselves. Do I see that the team itself is, as you say in your book, communicating in a way that is causing people to be in a positive velocity spin towards amplifying and and doing more and doing better, getting better results time after time after time, even when adversity happens, because it does, was it Mike Tyson said one time, you can practice, practice, practice fighting all the time, but whatever strategy you walk into, get tossed out once you get punched in the face, right? (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing. We plan and we plan and we plan and we talk about we train, we go to classes, we talk to other people, we hire a coach. We have these people who are really trying to help us learn through giving us feedback, helping us understand our perspective and the impact of our behavior. But all of that goes out the window when we actually have to do it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, But the measure of our success is, are we getting more velocity? Are we seeing that the team is more capacity? Is it being able to build upon itself so that we can deliver better and better results over time? That's yeah. the real measure of, have you mastered this idea of connecting with the team, which is the title of your book, and mastering the top 10 communication skills, mastering those skills so that what you're seeing is moving through it. So it's about the courage. It's about the design of what you're going to say. And it's really being intentional and focused on what the expectations are and how you would measure those expectations. Did I get it right? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and you know, what you're really talking about, Denise, as I was hearing you kind of recap this, is you get this high performance. Yeah team when people really do care about each other. So it's not just one-on-one, it's people really caring about the, you know, the team itself, the organization itself, because you're all really focused on moving in the same direction with respect, trust, value. To me, it's just huge how people feel they are treated and then what they can do to treat the clients, the customers of that organization. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we've come to the end of our time. It went so quick, right? How can people get a touch with you? And more importantly, how can people get a hold of your book? 
My book is available on Amazon, Connect With Your Team, as you mentioned, Mastering the Top 10 Communication Skills. And actually, Denny and I have a companion book called Peer Coaching Made Simple that helps people work with an accountability partner to implement those skills. And they're both available on Amazon. And our website is growstrongleaders.com where you can learn more about our books and our software tools for assessment and development. And I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, and would love to connect with people on all three of those platforms. Well, guys, you know what I'm going to say. That's a wrap. And if you enjoyed what we have offered here today, this conversation around how do you actually implement it? You know, we often want to talk about we when we know better, we do better, but we often fail short of the doing better. Well, today we have given you some clear tips, set some wonderful expectations on how you can find the courage, find the heart to want to do better so that not just your company wins, but everybody on your team in your organization finds a place where they feel like they are winning. No matter who you are, we all want to wake up in the morning knowing that we can grow, we can deliver on our goals, we can overcome adversity and we can turn potential into performance. And that, folks, is why we're here on Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Until next week, talk to you later. Bye. That's a wrap. And I'm Denise Cooper. And you've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Let me thank my good friend Ivan G. Hall for the background music. I'd like to ask you to do three things. One, if you liked it, share it with your friends. Let's build up our community. Two, subscribe so that you don't miss when a new episode drops. And lastly, if you've got a question or a comment, leave it below. I'd love to hear what you thought was good, what I could do better, and what topics you'd like to hear about. Let me thank my guests one more last time. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.